Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 149, an episode that really legitimately almost did not happen. <laughs> We're almost friggin' dark again. This time through, no fault of our own in general. Well, certain fault of mine. Uh, I require a day job in order to... Uh, live. Uh, live and, <laughs> and pay for this wondrous production loved by literally some people. <laughs> <laughs> and that job requires being on call, so... It was one of those that supposedly, oh, yeah, everything will be said and done by about uh, 9 p.m. on Saturday. No problem. 2 a.m. Sunday later, mm. <laughs> finally get to go to bed. So wasn't sure we'd have any energy at all. Plus, we're going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which originally we were supposed to see on Friday night with all the people from the, the regulars from the comic store. Mm. And everything was all set. It was a rainy Friday, so a good night to go to the movies get out of the day job, come home, sit in front of the computer, say, ah, oh, we'll just kill some time before we have to head out. And hey, why is there water on my desk near the brand new editing computer? Turns out we'd sprung a leak in a friggin' window and it was torrential rain. There was like, what, one to three inches, the weather said. Yeah, yeah so, it, was, it was Noah's flood-esque. Yeah, it wasn't a huge amount of water coming into the house, but Yet. If, if you own a home, that's plenty. Mm. Uh, to turn you into a paranoid uh, and put off the drinking plan well into the evening. <laughs> so I, a notorious handyman, really, I'm very, <laughs> why are you laughing? I'm excellent with my hands. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've, I've been picking my nose since I was two and I haven't gotten any brain yet. That's about as good as I can say I am. I don't have any skills. I <laughs> I have I have power tools that I figure eventually I'll I'll use in a home invasion of some kind. Because, you have a Dremel, right? And I've seen you use it. I used it once <laughs> in a really ill-advised attempt to modify a uh, a power, power strip. strip. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to make a USB powered power USB controlled so my computer could turn power off on this thing and and turn it back on. So clearly, since this was the very first electrical work I've ever done. Yeah, that's the way to start. And let's, <laughs> let's let's create a power strip that a computer controls and I walk away, purely based on my own wiring skill. You built a computer in a blackout once. Probably more than once, but one in particular. <laughs> Computers I can do, but yeah, anything more complicated than driving in a screw, I'm useless. So yeah, Friday, I get home at 5.30. I'm back in the car by 5.38 to go to the local hardware store, <laughs> whereupon they're like, can we help you? I'm like, I hope so, because I don't know what I need or what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to explain, oh, yes, water's coming in at the window seam, and I need something to try to seal it up, even though it's wet. And I, I was sent home with these two clear tubes. Uh, they could have been filled with water. Astroglide. Yeah, it could have. <laughs> <laughs> it might have worked better. But, <laughs> so yeah, me with no skills, never having caulked anything, trying to jam this clear rubber, rubberized latex shit into a, a wet seam. It sounds vaguely pornographic, particularly now that you've brought up the Astroglide. <laughs> but we got the thing mostly sealed, but you know, then it was, oh, we can't get to the movie. Cause, so, yeah, we managed to finally find a little time yesterday to actually go to the, the little local cruddier theater. <laughs> I was looking forward on Friday. It was one of those, you know, with big reclining leather seats, and they'll give you booze and hot fudge sundaes. And 
Instead, I got a box of Reese's Pieces and a Diet Coke. <laughs> and sat in a theater with a bunch of children yeah. who just love Baby Groot. They sure did. <laughs> children and Amanda just <laughs> love Baby Groot. And Amanda was that person, like in PCU. Oh, if you God. ever saw the movie PCU where uh, Jeremy Piven to a... Uh, uh, shit, who directed Iron Man? Plays Happy Hogan? Uh Favreau, John. Yeah, John Favreau. He's like, yo, dude, you're going to the concert wearing the shirt of the people who are playing. Oh, yeah, I wear my I Am, I am Groot t-shirt. Yeah, Amanda wore an I Am Groot t-shirt with baby Groot in a pot. That's right. The Guardians of the Galaxy yesterday. Big fan. <laughs> and, and considering this is just sort of a little urban theater, that's as close to cosplay as we got. Yeah, really. As we really ever get in this town. I'm surprised we can walk the streets at this point. <laughs> we'll be savaged as nerds and geeks. Yeah. But we did manage to uh, catch a matinee of Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, I forget from our Crises Awards show, my big movie of the year was Logan. Was this yours? I think so. Okay. But I don't remember. I'd have to go back and listen. I never listened to us. It's <laughs> Frankly, I don't care for this show. I don't think it's very good. I don't like to listen to it myself. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I think this was yours. So we were definitely looking forward to, to going to see it. Uh, I think probably you more so. Although, we both really like the first one a lot. Yeah. So It's uh, fun. Yeah, it's, it's the weird Marvel... It's the anti-secret empire. Oh, Christ. <laughs> you know, we're going to be talking enough about that later on in the show. You gotta... It's escapist. It's fun. It doesn't hurt your brain. It's... There are very few... You laugh. Na- very few Nazis. <laughs> Next to none Nazis. <laughs> I, I mean, the bad guy is is fucking Jack Kurt Burton. <laughs> so he's a bad guy, but about as far But not from... in a Nazi way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm trying to be up and have a good feeling going into the beginning of the show, and you got to bring up Secret Empire. <laughs> what, yeah. what, what's next? We're going to talk about old boyfriends. You tell me what this sore looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh, I have... <laughs> Let me go to the car and, and get my book on sores. <laughs> so, all right, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume Two. It's safe to say we both really liked it. Yes. Is that safe to say? I would say that's safe to say. It's. A, I will tell you this: when it comes out on Blu-ray, I'm going to need a second computer with another fucking soundboard because yeah. there are enough one-liners and gags that I'm going to. As it is, this soundboard is mostly. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't know how this machine worked. I got a full row of Guardians of the Galaxy 1. If you, yeah. If you listen to the show at all, you already know that. <laughs> if that row of sound hasn't driven you away from the show, hey, thank you for sticking with us. We're not going to get any smarter in the future. No. It's not going to happen. No. <laughs> nope. 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 Although Amanda has a master plan to get us an Eisner nomination. <laughs> Step one, get Eisner nomination. <laughs> Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. This is a this is a legitimate <laughs> drunken conversation that we had last night. We're trying to talk about what, what's the best thing that we could do to, you know, sort of grow the show. <laughs> Get an Eisner nomination. <laughs> yeah, because the, the Academy normally nominates comedies. <laughs> this isn't journalism. <laughs> this is dick jokes about comics. Well, now we're not going to get one. You just brought it up. It jinxed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to bribe the right people, but Jesus. <laughs> All right, so let's start with your initial impressions. Anything you want to start out with before I go directly to notes and outlines and this becomes a structured mess and while well, the Eisners might like that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, you get drunk and you start spouting off some bullshit. <laughs> and then people just won't let you let it go. Nope. Nope. Just follows you the next day. It's it's good radio. <laughs> Our drinking stories are about the only things to make this show listenable. No, they're certainly not, you know, cries for help. Oh, or, <laughs> not at all. Not in any way. <laughs> what did I like about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? I like pretty much everything, honestly. I, I think that James Gunn knew he had a lot to live up to after the success of the first one. Because of that, there was an abundance of one-liners, as you alluded to. There were constant laughs and constant things that could be like, oh, and here's the sound clip. Oh, no, this is the sound clip. Yeah, almost uh, literally from the beginning. I liked, I thought that there was just enough Baby Groot. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda has had commissions of Baby Groot done that hang in our office. Yes. Amanda is a Baby Groot enthusiast. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One could say... We, we still haven't gotten you the, the dancing baby Groot where, where you play hooked on a feeling <laughs> because you also have a job and you have to leave your house to do mm. it. And if you had that, I don't think you'd ever see the light of day I probably again. wouldn't. Yeah, you'd, you'd have a quart of scotch in just a semi-lit room. And dancing baby Groot. Dancing baby Groot. <laughs> she has to come out eventually, right? now. No, that's nah. not going to happen. More whiskey. <laughs> in a certain way, it really was the first only more mm. Yeah, more jokes, more character development. The spectacle was bigger. Yeah. My God, the ego of the living. By the way, we're going to spoil everything. (laughs) You've listened to the show before. We spoil everything. Uh, So yeah, you're warned. uh, If you don't want to be spoiled, skip to, well, uh, the the very end of the show. And come back after you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. We're going to spoil everything. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, the ego of the living planet was nothing but a constant large-scale special effect shot. Yeah. Yeah, it's, everything was bigger, and the important things were bigger. It's, there was a lot more character development. Everything was focused on the relationships. Just in general, I liked it. I don't want to say a lot better than the first one. I think it, I do think it was a better movie than the first one. I would have to watch the first one and, and this one side-by-side, side really, to... Which we kind of intended to, and then water came out of the walls. This but, is true. All right, so first of all, One thing I really liked about this, and up to a point, I also liked it with Guardians of the Galaxy 1, but I think this is even more so. This property is the only one that's really generally disconnected from all the goings-on of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. Now, the first one, it had an Infinity Stone, and almost everybody's motivation in the entire movie had something to do with Thanos. But beyond that, it was sort of self-contained and and on its own. It had enough service to say, look, this is a part of everything. This movie really doesn't even go that far. It's Nebula's motivation is, I still want to go kill Thanos, but she only brings it up a couple of times. Yes. Everybody else is mad on for Thanos really kind of seems to have disappeared, including Drax. (laughs) Everything Drax did in the first one was just... (laughs) <laughs> Drax's character was mad about Thanos with no filter. Yes. And I don't even think he mentions the name Thanos in this one. No. No, he doesn't. But we get to find out that the emotion that he had turned to Eleven, the rage in the first movie, is pretty much everything is Eleven with Drax. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whether he's feeling joy or sadness or, or anything, revulsion. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's always to Eleven. And that was an interesting discovery. I really thought that that David Bautista did a nice job overall without chewing the scenery. 
Because oh, yeah. that'd be such an easy character to get way too carried away with. Yeah, and he... he I don't even want to say he comes close, because he was my favorite part of this movie. Yeah. In a way that he wasn't in the first one, because he clearly had no social filter. He yeah. didn't understand uh, anything about social interaction or... Uh, any subverbal communication or, or anything like that, but his entire motivation was rage. So he was angry all the time, and the anger was over the top. And, and you're right, in this one, by taking away that anger and putting it in different emotions that he feels, be it glee or sadness or... Yeah, he just goes so far over the top, <laughs> and it's so much fun to watch. Drax laughing hysterically for 15 seconds at something. We learned in this movie that Drax has oversensitive nipples. Well, <laughs> it's a common affliction. <laughs> Why do you think I don't wear mesh shirts? Oh, oh, is it's that a, the reason? It's not, it, yeah, that it's not 1984? It's not? <laughs> Son of a bitch. You don't live on the Jersey Shore? <laughs> <laughs> there was a time where I might have been able to get away with a mesh shirt. Uh, do you, do you want to bring back the mullet? <laughs> no, no. I've got pictures of me with a I'm mullet. I'm pretty That's sure fine. that if you wear a mesh shirt, you have to have a mullet. I think it's a law. Yes. However, I can prove from my high school pictures, it's not the other way around. You can have a mullet and not wear a mesh shirt. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I I saw the trailer for Joe Dirt. <laughs> it was on television. <laughs> That was unnecessary. <laughs> that was unnecessary. Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> yeah, the movie Joe Dirt was totally unnecessary, but David Spade had to make a nickel. <laughs> I don't know. Somehow I feel like I was pulled into the, the universe of Joe Dirt. The Joe Dirt cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> Which is mostly Rob Schneider. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> and occasionally Adam Sandler doing a favor. When he's slumming, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, what's that? Uh, spades got blow? Yeah, I'll be right there. I'll do a cameo <laughs> for you. Whatever. Uh, all right. So, okay. So. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally distracted, but I'm, I'm building the Joe Dirt cinematic <laughs> universe in my head. I'm trying to figure out where Happy Gilmore fits in. <laughs> I mean, does Joe maybe clean, swamp the toilets at Happy's Country Club? Maybe. Does Billy Madison employ Joe Dirt Sr.? <laughs> <laughs> Is little Nicky the antagonist of the Joe Dirt cinematic universe? <laughs> He's the wacky mascot. Oh, God. Where's my whiskey funnel? I need help. I need it desperately. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yes, back to the overall. Back to cinematic universes. This has almost nothing whatsoever to do with the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe. We no. get Ego, who's a celestial, uh, even though I don't think he was a, a celestial in the comics. I think he was an elder of the universe, okay. uh, which the Collector also was, and the Grandmaster, who's going to show up in Thor Ragnarok. Thanos isn't. Uh, he was an eternal. Mm. Wikipedia is a great thing. <laughs> I spent about 20 minutes yeah. on Wikipedia figuring <laughs> well, out. Wow, look at you. <laughs> well, the Marvel cosmic books were never any, beyond Nova, yeah. yeah, I like Nova from when I was a kid, but even Nova when it started out was just another teenage superhero book. But beyond Nova, yeah, the Marvel cosmic books never really have hooked me in. I do like Dan Slott's Silver Surfer, but that's really the first Silver Surfer I ever really followed. So yeah, Adam Warlock and Captain Marvel, and I never really read him as a kid, and even up until now, is as good as uh, Dan Abnett's, uh, what the hell was it, Armageddon? Yeah. Uh, it was supposed to be, yeah, I got the Nova pieces of it, but 
I, I lost huge bits and pieces of it. So yeah, the origin of this Guardians of the Galaxy in the comics in that story, I, I missed it. So yeah, it's how all these characters fit together. You know, Jesus, I feel like I need to sit down with Wikipedia every time I read an issue of uh, of the Ultimates these days. So yeah, so yeah, those characters I just don't have a huge background in, and even that makes the movies kind of work for me because it doesn't matter. I don't sit there and say, Duh, the ego's not a celestial. It didn't occur to me until I got home. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe just, oh, he's not a celestial. Oh, and it's it's vaguely freeing that I don't have to give a fuck. I don't care. <laughs> the, oh, What's the, it like to give zero fucks, Rob? It's pretty good. <laughs> about a comic book thing? <laughs> Considering how enraged we're going to get when we talk about Secret Empire <laughs> about yeah. half an hour. Uh, yeah, it feels pretty good. It, it really didn't have anything to do with the rest of the Marvel Universe. And I don't know how James Gunn gets away with that. Considering even Joss Whedon, what? I have to do something about Thor Ragnarok? That doesn't come out for another two and a half years. Put it in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things I came away with a question about was they did such a nice job giving everybody in a fairly large ensemble a complete story arc with closure to their story and a potential for where the story would move on to in later movies. And they've already announced that there's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy Volume 3 it's about three years from now. Yes. And Nebula's story ends in begrudging forgiveness to Gamora, who she no longer wants to kill because she finally beat her in like a fight. Yay. <laughs> Giving hope to younger sisters everywhere. Fuck you, it'll never happen. Um, <laughs> and in any event... <laughs> My brother beat me in a fight once, and that was the last time we fought. And it was a close thing. He didn't really beat me, <laughs> but he got me good a couple times, and I was old enough and smart enough to say, you know what, I think we're done fighting. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the last one. In any event... <laughs> In any event, uh, then it was like, yeah, now I'm going to go off and I'm, I'm going to kill Thanos. Except that Thanos is going to show up in the Infinity War. Supposedly. S- where presumably his story will get wrapped up. Well, the, the, the important thing to keep in mind about the timing of this is from everything I've, I've heard, and I looked up some stuff online today, this movie takes place time-wise about three years, not three years, three months after mm. the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. So... For Volume 2, we're still in 2014-ish. Okay. So it's possible that Volume 3 could take place before the events of Infinity War? Uh, Very possible. Okay. I can't imagine they would do that, because now we're into weird Tarantino-esque time shifting. (laughs) It doesn't really matter for the purposes of this, because it's whether it was 2014 or day before yesterday, it's still before Infinity War, so it's not that confusing. Right. Uh, Where I was going with this is one of the things that... You and I and others that we've talked to have enjoyed about this is, yeah, it's, it's very separate from all the Michigas going on over in the rest of the Marvel Universe. So that Nebula's arc is to continue to pursue Thanos would necessitate potentially pulling her into the Marvel Universe Michigas. Yeah, I mean, they are going to be part of Infinity War. But on the periphery, they've already been described as, as really mostly being used on the periphery, like a finishing salt. don't bring food into this (laughs) i'm hungry (laughs) oh okay i I feel bad shit but yeah you did bring up a great point every every character really gets some kind of satisfying forward momentum yes including 
uh, you brought up Nebula, which I think is a great point because she was way better utilized in this movie than because well, she had a whole story, but well, she yeah. was way better utilized in this movie, I think, than she was in the first movie. You could have pulled Nebula right out of Guardians of the Galaxy one. You could have replaced her with the dude who played Jaws in Moonraker. <laughs> it was a generic bad bad guy. Yeah. Here, there was some additional motivation. Like the the character moved forward. There was a certain amount of forgiveness. She did work with the rest of the team up to a point. She is the only one who then went off on her own for her quixotic, I'm going to kill Thanos. <laughs> Nobody can kill Thanos. If <laughs> Jim Starlin couldn't kill Thanos, <laughs> nobody's going to find a way to do it. Let Al Ewing write him for a while. Oh, God. <laughs> It'll be a limited run. Hey, he, he made Galactus a, <laughs> Galactus a good guy. <laughs> Why not? Actually, Jesus, it just occurred to me, for years and years and years, Galactus was the devourer of worlds. And now Galactus, thanks to Al Ewing, is the life bringer. Yeah. Does that make Galactus a cosmic bulimic? Next week on Crisis on Infinite Midlives. This is no. not a legitimate question. <laughs> this is me fucking around. No, but it puts Galactus in the position that when he inevitably comes back to Earth, when we start talking about the comic books, uh, he will be the one that will be able to break through the shield and help Captain Marvel get back to take revenge on Captain America. Uh, it's That's possible. Captain Marvel is out there somewhere. And including with the Ultimates, she's on the periphery of dealing with Galactus. It's the fuck I don't give is giant. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to exactly how big of a fuck Rob does not give about Secret Empire very shortly. But in the meantime, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Every time you bring up Secret Empire, it's like somebody saying, so have you heard from the doctor? What's the <laughs> test? Is the test okay? It's Secret Empire is just a blight on my fucking life right now. <laughs> Wow, that pustule looks like it's gotten a little bigger. Maybe you should see somebody about that. Uh, Hail Hydra. Oh, (laughs) fuck. Okay, so, yes. Back to Guardians of the... Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, Eisner nomination. We're totally getting one. Probably on its way now. I feel it. I'm feeling it. All right. So the characters, uh, yeah, everybody sort of got to move forward a bit. The overall theme of family is all over this movie. Oh, yeah. uh, To the point where Gunn couldn't help himself, but he's got a couple characters, you know, talking about, oh, we're like a family. The point didn't need to be really hammered in. Every time somebody said, you know, oh, we're, we're not friends, we're family, it felt like Michelle Rodriguez just going through the motions for her paycheck in a Fast and the Furious TV spot. <laughs> it certainly was more palatable than, than any of those movies. It worked, but yeah, those couple of times where people actually said it, it's like, ugh. And I'd keep reminding myself, you know, they're trying very hard to make these movies for children. They, they are. And- <laughs> they are, especially based on the number of them that were at the matinee we attended. The, surprisingly, I didn't have to hurt anybody. They only got mouthy and started asking questions at the screen really in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although it, there was one particularly precocious young little girl uh, who were, was about two seats back from us. And this is kind of one of my favorite moments in the whole thing because of the little girl. Gamera is trying to convince Peter to... <laughs> Go with ego and and get to know him and you know this is your father and and she says you know and if he turns out to be an evil bad guy we'll kill him it's what we do and the little girl goes she's very smart 
I didn't need that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's really how I'm going to start living my life. Like, Robbie going to work today? Yeah, and you know what? If they make me do anything I don't like, I'll just kill him. <laughs> He's very smart. <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, family was, was was all over the thing, and every relationship that either increased or bonded or moved forward uh, really kind of mapped that. We've got Peter and Ego, uh, father and son, and Gamora mm-hmm. and Nebula, sisters, and Peter and Yondu, another uh, father and son, Rocket and Baby Groot. The yeah. man and plant. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody. It was they. They were, they were sort of like village raising Groot. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's so probably a lot of big brother, little brother. Yeah. You know, or father and child, or I'm not sure. Everybody got to take a turn in yeah. terms of being either the overly indulgent aunt or uncle or par- parental type figure. Yeah. Craglin and is that a name? Craglin, the guy who Sean Gunn plays, who got the arrow. I thought the his end. name was Franklin. Uh, I could be wrong. <laughs> Yondo's lackey. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, that was a big brother little brother kind of thing. Yeah. yeah it's a, it was it was all over the fucking Drax and Mantis for Christ's sake. Oh yeah, that was great. <laughs> and and everything that happens in the movie happens as a result of those relationships coming together or mutating or splitting apart. And so it makes all the big action because it all comes from that. It, yeah. You know, if it weren't for Peter's desire to find family he wouldn't have gone with ego we wouldn't have an antagonist so it makes total sense that the big action happens as a result of this as opposed to in a lot of other movies including a lot of other marvel movies where it happens because hey plot reasons we have to have it right you know we've written this down so you know of course captain america and iron man have to hate each other because reasons because reasons it's really you know kind of refreshing yeah to have a movie like that yeah i think the nice thing about this movie was that it didn't feel like it had plot points shoehorned in for the purpose of world building for movies that this movie isn't. Yes. <laughs> and we've had that all over the place. I mean, the, the big ugly example is, uh, yeah, Thor looking into the pool yeah. in Avengers Age of Ultron. That has nothing to do with anything except yeah. to remind everybody that, oh, we also have Thor movies. <laughs> So far, Come see the Thor movies. Yeah, so far, they're the worst of any of them. <laughs> Although I do have high hopes for Ragnarok, only yes. because it's, Planet Hulk. Yeah, it's a Hulk movie. So <laughs> do more Hulk movies. Yeah, even the Incredible Hulk, which everybody just sort of forgets, that's a better movie than fucking Thor or The Lost World. I own The Lost World. If you asked me what happened in The Lost World and put a gun to my head, you'd have to blow my fucking head off. It didn't stick yeah. to me at all. I is that the one with um. It's the one with uh, Doctor Eccleston? Who, Chris Eccleston, yeah. Okay. But yeah, what, what does he do? He's I don't purple. Know. That's what I remember. I think he's purple. What is it with painting everybody blue in these fucking movies? <laughs> I don't know. It's... <laughs> Discount from whatever it, house of all it remi- pancake makeup. All it reminds me of, I don't even remember who it was, but uh, Carla from Cheers, her idea of revenge on somebody was <laughs> they were going to strip them naked, paint them blue, and put them on a bus. Every time I see somebody painted blue, I'm Remind like... Remind me not to mess with Carla. Yeah, it's like, Carla got you. Shit. You poor bastard. It's the Tortelli curse. Where does that fit into the Joe Dirt cinematic universe? I don't think it does. Uh, all right, so you, you want to talk about some of the particular characters? I mean, I, I said Drax worked best for me. Who worked best for you? Was it Baby Groot? Um, honestly, Yondo. Yondo was okay. my favorite part of this movie and his arc with Rocket where they made Yondo 
likable. <laughs> um, and and they gave him some some wrinkles and some edges, and he was, I thought, very nicely fleshed out as a character as opposed to just annoying bad guy from the first movie. Yeah, they, in the first movie, they gave some hints that there was more going on under the surface. You know, his stupid little gnomes that he has on his pilot yeah. uh, seat or whatever. But, but I mean, when we talk about the the theme of family in this, Yondo is the wise old man, and he's he's the member of the family who imparts what he knows because he's been around long enough, and and you can take his advice or you can leave it, but he's never not going to share it. Yes. And sometimes at length, at length, <laughs> <laughs> with as much profanity as you can get away with in a PG thirteen Marvel yeah. flick. <laughs> yes. So Yondo and Rocket, Yondo calls Rocket out on his bullshit. Rocket is is being the the member of the family who is unwilling to really be a part of the group and is is doing whatever he can to push everybody else away because he's it's easier to be alone and then not feel as though you failed people because you've already failed them to begin with. Yeah, it's the old Kevin Matchstick, you know, if you already figure you're defeated, then you're never disappointed. Yeah. If you expect nothing, you're never disappointed. Exactly. So he and Yondo, when they they meet, Yondo's like, you're just like me. And he explains exactly why. And and Rocket legitimately reacts as though he had never considered the possibility for his behavior. (laughs) Yeah, well, in that scene, number one, it gives Yondu just enough backstory. Yeah. And it's okay to give backstory as a tell-don't-show just in that kind of encapsulation. I'll tell you a story about something I did, but it's brief, it's 30 seconds, and it tells you just enough. We did not, you know, while I'm normally a, oh, show me, don't tell me, I, I didn't need a five-minute scene. No, of, we, we wouldn't need know, we, like a prequel that's like Yondo the Battle Slave. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we find some poor nine-year-old who wants to be the next Macaulay Culkin and just, okay, paint his ass blue and then hit him with a stick. Get Carla. Although when, <laughs> although when, when Home Alone was... Number one for 13 straight weeks, I'd have been okay with that. <laughs> yeah. All right, what's your next movie, Macaulay? Oh, somebody's going to paint me blue and hit me with a pipe wrench <laughs> to advance Michael Rooker's character. Yeah. That seems like appropriate revenge for Home Alone, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, actually. But yeah, we don't need to see that. Macaulay yeah. would like the work at this point, I would imagine. No, <laughs> he's probably... Never mind. <laughs> I, I just had a mental image of him being painted blue for a private party. <laughs> And I won't go any further than that. Yeah, you stop there. We're going to leave the pipe wrench out of it. Because believe me, in my mental flash... Will there be silicon caulk? I think we're going asking, back to the astroglide. Asking for a friend. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just a just enough backstory to explain his own characterization, particularly in the first one, and to soften the character enough so when he makes more of a paternal turn with Peter toward the end, and frankly... a. Uh, kind of brotherhood turn with Rocket right then, it, it really humanizes him. Yes. So it was, yeah, just enough detail to really turn the character around and say, okay, well, this explains why you were the way you were, and it also explains why you will have regrets about the things that you did by the time we get to the third act and things start to fall apart for him. Yes. So yeah, it's, they really did a lot with him. And, and spoilers, when he dies, he goes out a complete hero. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just like Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Poppins did not have that heroic a death. 
I'm trying to remember. She didn't die at the end. She did didn't she? die at the end. It was a Disney movie. This was a Disney movie. <laughs> well, actually, know. it was a book before it was a Disney movie, and she didn't die at the end of that either. Did it have pictures in it? Um, there were some, yeah, illustrated plates. My mom read it to us when I was a kid. Yeah, it's uh, at this point, if it doesn't have pictures in it, I, I, I don't read nearly as much of it as I should. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's you're right. He was one of the more satisfying character arcs. Yeah, they they finally gave him his fucking mohawk. Yes, <laughs> and it was it was a clever way to do it. See, again, I not being a big Marvel cosmic, I know that was a big uproar that people had. It's like, oh, where's his mohawk? That's a, that's just a little thing on his head. That's not good enough. It's that, that's why it was. It's refreshing to go to this since I don't have as much invested in any of these characters. Go ahead and fuck with them. Yeah, just make it a good movie. That's all I care about in this one. I don't. I won't feel that way with Spider Man Homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man was my first comic book. I've been reading Spider-Man since 1970. You fuck up Spider-Man, I'm going to know. And there's no way that I'm going to be able to reconcile that in my head. And that's kind of the problem with So how lot- are you doing with Hot Hot Aunt May? Uh, <laughs> Mixed uh, feelings, coming over to the side of, yeah, Aunt May should always be hot. <laughs> Mixed feelings. I mean, Aunt May in Ultimate Spider-Man was not an elderly crone the way she, you know. My God, you go back and read some of those early Lee Ditko or even <laughs> even Lee Ramita. Aunt May, she's really just a loud sound away from a massive... <laughs> coronary. Yeah, a coronary, like a Ridley Scott alien coronary. <laughs> oh God, Aunt May, if she finds out I'm Spider-Man, she'll die. If she finds out I use the toilet, she might have a stroke. It's, Aunt May just really can't handle bad news. Oh no, if Aunt May finds out that I'm a photographer... I mean, she survived the violent murder of her husband okay... But yes, finding out that Peter goes to crime scenes. Oh, oh, f- heavens forfend. Peter, don't leave the seat up in the bathroom. <laughs> She'll break both hips and her head will <laughs> swivel right off her body, for Christ's sake. <laughs> so, yeah, Hot Aunt May, I'm not sure. We'll see how, uh, how the character progresses in Spider-Man Homecoming. Hot Aunt May boned by Tony Stark. That's going to be very strange. Because we totally know that's going to happen. <laughs> But, Ari but will she be thinking of Ben? Oh, God. <laughs> ben Dover. Pow! Oh, no. <laughs> no. See, now you're demonstrating a roughly the emotional um, <laughs> maturity of uh, Peter Quill. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of me, Yondu? That guy was a jackass. Yeah, okay. I probably had that one coming. Um, I really enjoyed Kurt Russell in this movie as well. He was fucking awesome. Kurt Russell is always awesome. Number one, the special effect to make him 20 again in 1980. That's the first time I've seen a de-aging that was really seamless. I could not see the special effects in that, in that opening scene. Plus, Except I Except would... his, his face was weirdly shaped, so they, they were mapping it over his fuller, older face, which is full of facial hair. And so it's like they took Jack Burton's face and stretched it over... 70-something Kurt Russell's face, which was a little weird for me. Considering John Carpenter made him an adult star, that visual could easily have been one of (laughs) Kurt Russell's earlier movies. It might have been. But uh, all I know is I wanted his car. I was going to jump right into the screen and steal that fucking Camaro. And I'm not even an American muscle guy. That was just a cool car. And they gave him back Snake Plissken's hair for (laughs) for that CGI scene. Honestly, I thought it was more (laughs) Farrah Fawcett's hair. (laughs) 
no bullshit. I recognize that Snake Plissken's hair, but it was even fuller with like more product in it. Oh, it was. It was Snake glorious. That, yeah, you could easily have slapped his haircut onto Farrah Fox. Like he was in a commercial summer going, and then I told two friends, and then they told two friends, and then they told two friends, and so on, and so on. Man, you're going deep. <laughs> Yeah, anybody under 40 who has any idea what you're talking about. I love that shampoo. I was so sad when it was discontinued. I don't even remember what shampoo it is. This is going to have to be something. I'll Google uh, it for you later. Yeah, YouTube shampoo. They told two friends. You'll find the ad we're talking about. <laughs> Somebody must have had a VCR back then, for Christ's sake. And so on, and so on. Oh, God, we're getting so far afield on this. I mean, as soon as I heard the casting of Kurt Russell, part of me was like, of course, Snake Plissken, Jack Burton, is going to be Peter Quill's father. Although I guarantee you, somewhere, somebody's got an email from James Gunn to at least somebody who knows Harrison Ford's agent that say, <laughs> hey, what, what do you think about this? Cause Probably, yeah. Han Solo and Indiana Jones are really the spiritual Progenitors, father of, yeah. <laughs> of the movie version uh, and now the comic version of Peter Quill. Have you read either of the new Guardians of the Galaxy books from this week? I have not. They have gone full, yep, it's the movie. He's got the stereo. It's it's straight from the movie. Okay. And they're not bad. But I kind of like the Bendis version leading up to the movie, which was close enough to it. Get that synergy. Uh, yeah, I'm beginning to get mixed feelings about that synergy. <laughs> Although at Free Comic Book Day yesterday, it, it was a they were doing pretty brisk business. Yeah. So if the movies at least once a year gets people in, okay, great. Although I guarantee you two-thirds of them are like, what do you mean I can't have any free comic book I want? <laughs> It was a very specific wall. Of very specific books. Yes. Some of them didn't make me angry. <laughs> I'll let you guess which one did. We'll get to that. I'm going I'm to guess that um, I Hate Image Comics didn't make you angry. It did not. <laughs> I haven't read that one yet. <laughs> Although I'll tell you this, I could have lived a long, fulfilling life without having David Hasselhoff be part of Marvel Cinematic Universe continuity. I enjoyed the cameo. I wasn't expecting it. And oh. it was all right. God. <laughs> I even tolerated his singing and white man rap at the end. You tolerated that better than I did. I'll say until his little song <laughs> at the end, I was able to console myself by saying, you know, this is exactly the right amount of Hasselhoff. Uh, roughly 19 to 24 seconds. Of Hoff. Of Hoff. That's all I need. <laughs> it's more than I need by about 18 to 23 seconds, but okay, I get it. <laughs> but I guess at least he did it. He did it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Kurt Russell. Yeah, I mean, he was solid. He didn't, you know, he was enthusiastic, but didn't chew the scenery. Yeah. Uh, the biggest problem I had had nothing to do with him. It became very clear to me by about the third time he said, God, I loved your mother. It's going to be, we're going to find out he gave her cancer. Yeah. And then it's just waiting for him to actually fucking say it. When he finally did say it, I will say Peter Quill reached at least within stone's throw vision of Han Solo. And Mal Reynolds, his immediate, <laughs> you did what? Throw down and just immediately start shooting. Yeah, that, that was all id. That was just... <laughs> yeah, that was glorious. That, that, that scene alone was the best Peter Quill scene I think we're ever going to have. Yeah. Yeah, Peter Quill in this. The, what worked for me with Quill was when they finally got away from uh, the, the gold people. Sovereigns. The sovereigns, yeah. yeah. At that point, Peter's not really in public anymore, so he doesn't have to put on that swagger. Yeah. So 
without that, we get to spend a lot more time with the guy who just grew up under shitty circumstances and is trying to fill this void uh, with whatever relationships he can and desperately holding into the idea of, oh, God, this is my dad. And so I think it really helped the character a lot to not have to deal with, a, I'm Star-Lord and kind of, who? <laughs> you know, which is great for the first movie, but that only goes so far. And watching a guy posture after a certain point is not nearly as entertaining as actually getting to know the guy. This is true. Although it was interesting writing that Ego knew so much about Peter and and highlighted all of the best parts that would appeal to Peter's ego. Oh, of course I've heard of the mighty Star-Lord. Because <laughs> that was the whole thing in the first movie. He was all pissed off that nobody ever like knew his name or the, the handle he was going by. <laughs> yeah, it's it was definite... Definite flattery. Yeah, Kurt Russell did really well with it. And the interplay between the two of them was pretty solid. Although, literally, moon-faced Peter Quill. <laughs> <laughs> I see your visions. Oh, dude. this <laughs> I don't think I need to see that again. No. I think if anybody probably got short shrift out of all of them, uh, it was probably Nebula. Um. Well, she got more to do in this than... Actually, no, not Nebula. Gamora. Gamora, Sorry. yeah. Yeah. Too many characters. Yeah. Too many beers. Gamora, her entire arc was reacting to everybody else's arc. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she had some good moments with Nebula. Because, I mean, in the first movie, that was a large chunk of of her arc was her breaking away from Thanos and figuring out her own thing and begrudgingly becoming part of this other family. Right. So she had kind of already reached a level of closure with her major story, which in this movie then left her as sort of the the reactive piece to other people's. I suppose you've got a point, and the more I think about it, it probably wasn't short shrift, um, but you're right. It it was more reactive. Uh, Her arc, the more I think about it, was about if any character was still completely closed off at the beginning of volume two, it was her. Yes. She's still keeping Peter at arm's length and denying that there's anything between them. And she just wants to put Nebula in jail. Yeah, opening herself up a a little bit to at least the possibilities of relationships with her sister and Peter and other people. Okay, so yeah, the more I think about it, it wasn't as flashy as some of the other arcs. Right. But yeah, all right, she had something going on. Okay, I, I take it back. I, I got like five five paragraphs of notes here. I'm like, oh, no, she got it. No, she really didn't. Never mind. <laughs> I'm stupid. No, I, I think, though, you know, she didn't have something that she had to solve, per se, other than, you know, working on feeling like she could open herself up. She didn't have some great, like, white whale that she was chasing, like the way that Peter was chasing the idea of his father or Nebula was chasing the idea of what it really would mean to have a sister. I say it every few weeks. Part of why I like doing this show is that my mind changes halfway through it. So, all right, cool. Gamora was all right then. <laughs> I mean, the performance was fine, but yeah, there was more going on with that character than I originally thought. I was distracted by Drax. Anyway. That's okay. <laughs> and I finally figured, ah, never mind, that's an inside joke. Okay. <laughs> Drax reminds me of, of a guy that Amanda and I knows and Amanda I know and I think that's part of why I laugh so hard when he does certain things yeah no it makes sense when Drax was just repeatedly screaming when he got hit with the arrow in the post credit sequence just the ah! <laughs> ah! 
<laughs> I know a guy who does that. And it's the funniest fucking thing. Yeah. All right. So I just spent 30 seconds talking about that inside joke. I'm a terrible radio host. I'm just awful. I think your eyes are material. Right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> For your consideration. <laughs> <laughs> Showtime, a-holes. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, we, we already talked about Drax and, and why I thought he was uh, my favorite character. Rocket probably came in second. And, and I think even with that, we've already kind of talked about it, his opening himself up and understanding himself a little better by mm. his uh, his relationship with Yondu. And, uh, yeah, being completely on It's like, I'm not going to leave you here. And Yondu say, look, I've done terrible things. This is the only thing I can do to make up for it. And the not even grudging respect. They respect each other enough. It's like, all right, if this is what you're going to do, yeah. here's everything I can give you. I'm going. And I'm going to re- respect your choice. So Yeah, and- I mean, Rocket, although he becomes much more willing to be a part of the group, at the end of the day still remains, I, I will be a nut cutting and a strategist. And and if I need to do something that seems cold, it, but for the, the greater good of the group, I'm going to do it. Yeah, although I still miss Brian Michael Bendis's "boom, you're murdered" catchphrase <laughs> that he gave him in the first few issues of the comic. Yeah, yeah, the the background that he got with Yondu, even though he still has that cynical, "fine, I'll, I'll steal it if I can, I'll kill it if I have to, whatever," probably had the most humanizing arc, which is a hell of a thing for a trash panda. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about Baby Groot because I think we've talked about everybody else at this point. I like Baby Groot. And Baby Groot was was fine. And the, some of the scenes were absolutely spectacular. Some of them were dead ruined in the trailer. Yeah. So, I mean, the, yeah, the bomb scene was great, but I knew about that four months ago. Right. Uh, the, the opening dance sequence was pure fan service. Yes, me. It serviced of, me. <laughs> but to the point, <laughs> you noticed something about that. Or was it Joe at the comic store? I'm talking about how he even moved to start with. Oh, that was then, me. That was my observation. Okay. His, his very initial move as he was standing next to the speaker that Rocket set up, ostensibly for the purpose of providing Peter with music for the fight with the giant space alien that they had been hired to take out, was a wiggle of the hips, which is exactly the move that one of those potted uh, flowers that dance to music makes. <laughs> okay. Right before that's right. the rest of the moves fire up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that was a great sequence, and it was it was a cool way to open the movie with an action sequence. Well, the first movie opened with Peter dancing to music, so this one opened with Groot dancing to music. And the next one will open with a funeral dirge of some. I don't. Well, know. no, the next one we're going to probably catch Drax doing something, you know, odd to music or something. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like. It seems like Gunn's thing is, I'm going to open with somebody dancing to music. All right, let's talk about the music. The music did not work nearly as well in this for me as it did in the first one. Okay. I thought it was okay. I thought a lot of the song cues were just needlessly on the nose. Like which ones? Oh, God. Well, number one... Father uh, and Son at the end. If you, Yeah, anybody who tries to force me to listen to Cat Stevens is that much closer to becoming my mortal enemy. Right. Yusuf as Islam. It's okay, fine. I don't want to acknowledge he exists no matter what name he wants to give himself. <laughs> Senor Islam, the the number of goddamn 1990 college drama club parties where that got put on. And at least the, it wasn't Cats in the Cradle. <laughs> I would the prefer other. that. That at least sort of pops. 
something like fathers and son or any of those it brings the action to a stop and now you're just shoving beers into your coat to go off into the night <laughs> because the party is over and you just want to drink somewhere to get rid of the fucking depression <laughs> morning has broken my ass this party is broken <laughs> How am I going to get laid to morning has broken, you sons of bitches? Oh, the answer to that question is you learn how to play it on the guitar. And then... Uh, oh, fuck me. Chicks love a dude who can play guitar. <laughs> yeah, I'm not... Uh... At the drama party. <laughs> yes, I know. And... Uh... Oh, never mind. That's another, <laughs> that's another inside joke. It's, I, I will say the best music cue for me, I did not know that I needed to see Michael Rooker painted blue, like for the purposes of revenge, but and killing like 600 dudes while Jay and the Americans come a little bit closer plays. That scene worked like a motherfucker for me. That was just him and Rocket, and Rocket not even having to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that scene was awesome. But when he was finally at the end just sort of firing through the walls at, at random people that were attacking, the glee... Oh, absolutely. The glee in, in Rocket's face was... Yeah, so that was a great scene. But uh, the, what was the Fleetwood Mac song that was playing? The Chain. The, yeah, when uh, Peter and Ego uh, began their confrontation. Just a lot of it was was on the nose. I liked... See, all right, the Fleetwood Mac song worked for me, and actually they had to go out of their way apparently to get um, individual permission from each member of Fleetwood Mac they ha- and and they they screened. I can't believe that because they have such good relationships. That's and sort such of good the friends. point. <laughs> uh, the they they had to screen for each of them individually the scene and how the music was being used with the scene, and then they each signed off on it because yeah, given that they had such a a contentious, weird family kind of relationship in the band, that seems like duh. Put the whole thing to Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> yeah, the whole rumor. Yeah, the, the next movie should just be called Guardians of the Galaxy Rumors. Rumors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac, everybody. What do you think, Rocket? You just want to suck the joy out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so the music felt like more of a crutch in this one, where it was really kind of refreshing in the first one. And part of it is also enough movies, particularly some superheroes, like Deadpool and... Suicide Squad mm. have latched on to that and, and used pop music in a similar kind of way. So it's not as new as it was with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Even with the Guardians of the Galaxy, it's you could say, oh, it's not as new as it was in Reservoir Dogs. Um, but, but you're overly sensitive to gratuitous use of, of music to set mood anyway, because whenever a singer-songwriter moment comes on on whatever we're watching on TV, you're screaming at the television. Oh, those drive me bug shit. <laughs> It's, I swear to God, almost every hour long, particularly police procedurals and teenage dramas. Yeah. And I think it started with Buffy. Yeah. But with God as my witness, you can- said the bronze is an excuse. Yeah. Look, I like to get liquored up and watch Bones as much as the next guy. Every episode of Bones, somewhere at the end of Act 3, before the closing sequence, it's, yeah, some singer-songwriter singing exactly- about what you just watched. I almost just burped on the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> Singing exactly what you just watched. And it, it drives me bullshit because it pulls me right out of the story. And I think there was more of the music being on point to the particular situation here, whereas just sort of the the tone or the tempo of the music in the first one kind of matched. And 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 that's just, just me. There there were a couple of them where it's like, uh, okay, this is not working for me. And the Fleetwood Mac was was one of them. And it, yeah, like I said, 
Cat Stevens, Yusuf, ins- I don't care what he calls himself. I hate him with a fervor <laughs> I normally reserve for Nazis. He's just terrible. Oh, now we're back to Nazis. <laughs> it's on the brain. Fucking secret empire. God damn it. <laughs> the one thing that gives me, that kind of interests me, was the bringing in of the Zune at the end, which I will yeah. go on record as saying, of course they did it. Oh, it's an outdated. The Zune was a vastly underrated piece of technology. Yes. That's a, and I, I don't say that just because I bought Amanda one about <laughs> eight years ago. <laughs> I, I, I used it to watch uh, the, the Wolverine movie when I was in Italy. <laughs> yeah, I know. And now dedicated music players are kind of dead. Everybody does it on their phones, but Having that, since it was a newer technology and whatever his music was put on it would have to be newer, opens up a whole world of music that Gunn can use in Volume 3. Yes. Unless they call it Guardians of the Galaxy Zune, because Volume oh. 2 is because of the music. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, at this rate, though, that means by the end of, of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, he'll he'll end it by learning about Spotify. <laughs> No, because he's always one step behind. He'll learn about iTunes. And he'll be like, a fucking gigabyte? What? You're selling me music, asshole. <laughs> Which is what I said when I installed iTunes on the new computer about two weeks ago. <laughs> Part of me, and I, I envisioned this, I think Infinity War needs a scene in the middle of the battle where it's going poorly for everyone, is to have the communication start to crackle and have Peter say something like, sorry, we're late. And the Milano flies out of the sun to the tune of Ghostbusters. <laughs> That would be all right. That would be all right. <laughs> what other so or Susudio? Oh God! <laughs> or any Phil Collins? Any I get, Phil Collins? I get the sense except Peter maybe Clu- except maybe the theme to Buster. That song doesn't exist. <laughs> Why are you making shit up? <laughs> the love theme to Buster. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you're trying to calculate that's more pi. Than, that's, <laughs> that's more than ten lies you've told. <laughs> or Huey Lewis. I, I get the sense that Peter Quill Sports would, is underrated. Exactly. Peter Quill could kick ass in any <laughs> song from sports. Yes. I want a new drug. Oh. Walking on the thin line. That'd be the best one. Because that's, you know, that's very... violent. <laughs> Sister Christian, also acceptable. Also acceptable. Except Sister Christian will never be better cinematically than its use in Boogie Nights. So that's... Why, why would you try to better that that's uh, all right what what song do you think you're the milano flying out of the sun or, or any sequence w- with guardians of the galaxy i don't know because i really like the use of sabotage for that in, <laughs> in the star yeah, trek but, but star trek's got that one so i know I, and i can't picture gun jumping ahead to even the 90s he might get some 80s stuff in there and i think that might be why i gave him the zune yeah. just so he would have access to maybe up until the the mid to late 80s I run DMC's walk this way. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, what would be, Sweet Caroline would be funny, um, <laughs> but that, that's just because I'm a Boston sports fan. <laughs> don't you forget about me? <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be all right. Ah, uh, she blinded me with science. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's nobody's battle cry ever. <laughs> that's the bat. That's the battle music for. For when you're at home during prom. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Any Jay Giles? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Whamma Jamma, that'd be all right. (laughs) 
Uh, how about this? <laughs> it's the only music I have on this thing. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure I will come up with the, the perfect answer to what that song will be the second we go off the air. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll throw in the show notes or something. <laughs> actually, uh, actually, if they're going to have a Zoom so they have an excuse for slightly older or newer music, rather, um, I think Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a little... A little on the nose, though. That seems to be the direction Gun's going these days. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> oh, well. Except the, the the thing that you have to keep in mind with the music is that whatever Yondo put on that Zune was curated specifically for Peter, knowing his likes from the music his mom gave him. So I can't see them actually going that far afield and putting that much newer music on there. Because even when the Zune was going property and, and people were getting things off of Napster and the like. There were plenty of of older rock songs that were available for download. That's true. Uh, what year did he get picked up? He got picked up like, the early 80s. It, it was late enough to know about Cheers. So yeah. the, the opening scene in this and one... And Knight Rider. Yeah, the opening scene in this one, uh, so he was conceived in 1980. Yep. So I'm trying to remember from the first movie. It was probably like 86, 87. Mm-hmm. All right, so so yeah, he could have anything up until there. Yeah, which which does open the door for Guns N' Roses. Uh, just barely with '87. Yeah. yeah, don't stop believing. Ooh, because <laughs> that was '82. Yeah, or '81 even. <laughs> Actually, he comes screaming out of the sun in the Milano to "Dirty White Boy." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was head games. So that was, uh, I'm trying to remember if that was 78 or 80. This conversation's gone way off the rails. <laughs> I think I've, I've answered the question. It took us a while to get there, but I've, I've answered the question. Okay, Foreigner Dirty White Boy. Yes. I am on board. Okay. Because God knows at the end of that song, I found it like, well, 85, shit, I better slow down. <laughs> All right, so the, the one thing that I found distracting about this uh, before we you know, wrap it up and Although I don't want to wrap it up. I'll, I'll continue talking about music so I don't have to talk about Secret Empire. <laughs> is that all right? Is that what this has been all about? Uh, you just, maybe. You're just putting off the inevitable? <laughs> maybe. I'll go down whatever fucking tangent we, we I have could talk, to. We, we don't have to talk about Secret Empire, at least not right away. We could talk about how um, Tom King is continuing to neglect the button. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> we almost made it through a whole show with a button, button joke. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Button, button. Who's got the button? Not Tom King. <laughs> Uh, Joshua Williamson uh, actually did the script on that. Oh, did Tom he? King helped with the sto- Tom King uh, did the story with him, but yes. I just I just read the story and that's all I did because then I just put it down and I walked away. Yeah, <laughs> there were some good comics this week. Unfortunately, we're not talking this, about yeah. any of those. This um, is not one of them. All right, so back to Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> to forestall the inevitable. <laughs> one thing that I found kind of distracting was uh, Volume Two really wore its. And particularly Empire Strikes Back mm. influence on its sleeve. There was very, very much a, a lot of, I'm going to do homages to good sequels. Yes. In particular, Empire. Right out of the gate, you've got an asteroid field sequence. Yep. Once you throw that in, yeah, you're, you're basically <laughs> saying exactly, okay, yep, I get where you're laying down. But the problem is then I started to see them everywhere. Just the structure of, okay, it's the sequel, so let's split the team into two separate missions, and we'll follow them each separately. We've got a planet-sized killing machine. Uh, you've got an I am your father moment, a temptation to use dark power. The final shot 
of the team standing in the window of a starship looking out mm. at other starships as they're kind of beaten down by the entire experience. That's the end of fucking Empire Strikes Back. That's true. Except it didn't have Sylvester Stallone in Empire. <laughs> it had Cliffy from Cheers. Objectively, okay, Guardians wins on that one. <laughs> Uh, you've got a character, one character going off on their own, on their own mission. So it was, that was Lando yep. in uh, Empire. It was Nebula, Nebula in here. this one. So it was really, it was not only just, hey, here's a moment to remind you, but it was structured very much like Empire. Yes. The the one other scene that leapt to mind, and I feel really bad about this, was uh, the, the funeral scene with Yondu uh, where he goes out the tube and the camera sort of flips over to follow him. Hmm. Well, number one, yes, the space funeral being pushed out of a, that's straight from Star Trek two. Yes. And and I think I ranted in your ear during the movie, even turning the camera over is straight out of Star Trek two. Mm-hmm. Except I was wrong. I looked that scene up on YouTube today. I don't know what scene I'm remembering with the camera turning over, but it wasn't Star Trek two. So I you feel- were just angry. You get angry, you get so worked up. Well, it's things like that pull me out of the story. I'm there for the the story, and certainly if you're going to ape a movie, you can ape a far worse movie mm. than <laughs> than Empire Strikes Back. You could ape Secret Empire. <laughs> I don't know why you would, <laughs> but Jesus, this structure feels familiar. Oh yeah, I took the structure from behind the green door. Really, <laughs> <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust. Huh? <laughs> Huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you find that... Would, did I miss any references? Anything? Um, well, I mean, Peter kills his father, but that doesn't happen until Jedi for, <laughs> for the Star Wars franchise. Right. There there was sort of the... No, I say there was sort of the obligatory Dagobah kind of thing, but not that's not really Empire. So No, that was Empire. Was it? Was there... Yeah, most of Dagobah was Empire. Oh, I'm sorry. And... No, I'm sorry. I was thinking of... Um, What's it? Where the bar is in uh, the first movie? Oh, Tatooine. Yeah, but the name of the city, <laughs> Mos Eisley. All right, I'm just clearly <laughs> I can't think, and I'm just saying stupid shit at this point. So, <laughs> give us an Eisner, because I am my shit's tight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got my dick message. The Eisners did. <laughs> Did you find that distracted, or were you more distracted by me constantly whispering in your ear, oh, this is from Empire. Oh, this is straight from Empire. God damn it. I, I tuned you out eventually. I liked, <laughs> I liked the movie, and I was waiting for the next appearance of Baby Groot. I would say tuning me out is the wisest choice, but I do like that at least a couple people listen to this show. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, don't do that, please. Did you say something? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you, you didn't distract me. But I also was not pulled out of the story necessarily by the the homages as as they were. I thought they were done with enough of a, a wink and a nod to everybody knows what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I see your point. There uh, wasn't lens flare. There was. <laughs> <laughs> Poor JJ Abrams. <laughs> it would be funny if he has like maybe some blot on his retina, so he's just <laughs> incapable of seeing lens flare. It's an accident every time. People think it's a stylistic thing. And he's like, no, I have a legitimate handicap. Please help me. I did it by accident on a picture I took of the Coliseum once. I couldn't do it again if you put a gun to my head. (laughs) It looks cool. I have it up as like a a background on my computer because it scrolls through all of my Italy pictures. But (laughs) And you have many and they're all good. They are, somehow. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's only luck. Yeah. (laughs) Like lens flare. (laughs) 
Once again, another tangent, <laughs> which is keeping us from Secret Empire. <laughs> Do one more thing to keep it from Secret Empire. Um, I found it interesting. I found this slightly heavy-handed, but I also took this as a sign of Peter stopped maturing at about age 12. What man doesn't? <laughs> and we, we have a podcast where we talk about comic books. <laughs> I'm never going to be older than 12 on some level. Well, to, but anyway. To the point where, you know, as he's trying to explain to Gamera that, no, there's chemistry here and we should totally hook up, but it's an unspoken thing like Sam and Diane. Or, like, I found that a little clunky. Like, you don't have to tell me that. Like, you don't need to, to tell the audience what they are seeing. Right. And particularly if you went in 1987, what you should have been talking about was Dave and Maddie. Exactly. Which is a much more on-point reference. Unless, unless Meredith didn't let Peter stay up that late to watch it. I suppose that's possible. I, I forget when Cheers was on. It, it was early enough that I could see it, um, but I was... Uh, how old I think was Moonlighting I? was 11, like 12, 9 o'clock or something like that, and he should have been in bed before that. I suppose so. <laughs> But yeah, Dave and Maddie, yeah, that's one for the ages. Sam and Diane, okay. But yeah, especially, and it's not, Sam and Diane is not one for the ages because she left the show and then um, Rebecca. <laughs> right. Yeah, nobody is ever going to be cooler in this world than Bruce Willis during Moonlighting. Exactly. And that's that's how I like to think of him. <laughs> no, this... he, was, he was abducted from the earth right after the rap. <laughs> yeah, it's... After season two. It stopped at season two. No, I'll give him till Die Hard. I'll give him until Die Hard, and then yeah, it's a yeah. He was replaced by doppelgangers. But if you if you give him till Die Hard, then you have to allow for the possibility of a Mark Harmon appearance in season three of Moonlighting, and that's that's it's no bueno. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we must really not want to talk about Secret Empire. <laughs> all right, so where where do you rank it in the? First of all, it's I don't think it's better than Logan this year. No, I don't think it's better than Logan. I would put this movie behind Logan. I, I think it's still slightly behind Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, only because uh, when that was new... <laughs> I can see that. Not that this wasn't good, but the first one, there was an excitement to it because you, had, you hadn't seen any of that before, and you hadn't seen Chris Pratt in this action kind of role. He's since then this done Jurassic World and all of that other stuff. So Yeah, and Passengers, which... <laughs> We'll get off cable at some point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can understand what you're saying. I think this is an objectively better movie. But yeah, that excitement of... It's the same way, objectively, I've always known Empire was better than Star Wars. But mm -hmm. it took me a long time to really be able to admit that to people. Because yeah, that initial excitement of Star Wars, you're not going to get again. Right. You know, it's you go into Empire knowing, okay, I'm going to get, you know, the characters. And so, yeah, that initial, and granted that that initial excitement, I was five fucking years old. <laughs> Certainly that level of excitement, nothing can duplicate. You know, there's no cocaine. There's no whiskey. <laughs> it's uh, that sort of pure glee never happens again. Right. But it, so, but with regards to this, I think objectively two was better than the first one. And in which case, James Gunn probably feels that mission accomplished because if, if he's going to spend all of this time making reference to two sequels that are objectively regarded as being better than the first movie in their series, then he's accomplished what he was setting out to do. 
And that's great. And now he's moving into part three. And as... So where are the Ewoks? As, as, Who are the Ewoks? As Jubilee said in X-Men Apocalypse, uh, I think we can all agree the third one is always the worst. <laughs> so I'm try- yeah, literally, we were trying to think of what's Marvel's version of the Ewoks that they can chuck into this. Uh, Except that the, he'll probably run with that, too. Like, there'll probably just be moments of you know, Rocket and or Peter going, this is the worst. <laughs> Like yeah, or, or you know what? We'll find out that uh, Groot had splinters fall off of him. So there's a thousand baby Groots just oh, surrounded. That's that'll be the cute thing. Damn <laughs> Groot, damn Groot! But they're everywhere. They're everywhere, and they're the ones who kill Ronan the Accuser, who will have to come back. Because I don't know how you get Thanos back. Because Thanos's story. No, Ron, uh, Ronan's dead. He did, yeah. did he die at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, when we're done with this, uh, let's throw the Blu-ray. I in. Like dead. I said, we meant to do it on Friday. Uh, and I probably I'm wished he was dead. <laughs> oh. Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> Thank you for the setup. I, uh, A softball. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll take the softball. It's no problem. <laughs> I need the help. But yeah, this is probably one of the best Marvel movies. I still think Winter Soldier is mm. my favorite. It's certainly better than Civil War was. It's certainly yes. better than Doctor Strange was. Uh, yeah, uh, okay. All right. Yeah. I don't know. Iron Man 1? Yes. Is it better than that? It's different than that. I think it's its own thing. Like I don't want to rank it versus the other Marvel movies yeah, because and, it's not part of that universe. I mean, it's part of that universe, but it's not part of that storyline yet. And that probably makes the most sense to do, but it, it feels like it's a question we ask for every Marvel movie that comes out. Oh, where does it rank? Yes. You know, it's human nature, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll still go with Winter Soldier as my favorite, but this is in the top two or three. It's up there. Yeah. And it needs to come out on Blu-ray because I need to start rotating out new sound clips for Christ's sake. Yeah. I mean, I like this well enough that I would be willing to go and see it again in the near future in in the theater. And that that's, you know, a financial outlay. <laughs> yeah. But I don't have a problem with that. We can go this week. Okay. <laughs> it's a date. Yeah. If it rains and if that freaking call I put in holds. <laughs> Those I'll come home to another destroyed computer. Yeah. We can't have that. No. I haven't paid for this one yet for fuck's sake. <laughs> Anything else we want to talk about on no, I Guardians think, of the Galaxy Volume 2? We've we've established everything that we need to establish about this. and Okay. So I, I guess we have to talk about comic books now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's, what do you want to start with? Oh, we'll start with Batman. Well, let's, let's uh, start with Batman. <laughs> Another book in which nothing happened. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Batman 22 or, or Part 3 of The Button... Uh, written by Joshua Williamson, uh, but the story also had a hand from Tom King, uh, art by Jason Fabok. Uh, yeah, it, this is one of those things I'm not sure how much time we can really talk about this because, yeah, really, nothing advancing the story happens. It's not entirely true that nothing happens. Emo Batman got closure with his dead dad. Spoilers. Yeah, which in and of itself could prove interesting down the line, but even then again, maybe not. Yeah, it's uh, most of this book. It, it feels like yeah, we're we're marking time and just adding four bucks to the cost of finding out how the fuck Watchmen fits into the DC universe. Yeah, and and Bruce Batman tells Dad Batman, "Oh, by the way, you have a grandson." No, don't acknowledge Damien for yeah, fuck's oh, sake. Yeah, some of us try not to. 
I go whole days without thinking about Damien. You gotta go and do that. I I know that you think Batman's emo, and that was really kind of a tricky situation. I did get a great deal of joy out of uh, when Batman looked at Flash and said, I burned my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. I hadn't used it yet in the show, and I Uh, can't let that happen. There you go, there you go. Uh, But yeah, we're back in the Flashpoint timeline, universe, reality, uh, whatever it is. And yes, Aquaman and Wonder Woman have sent their soldiers to kill the Thomas Wayne Batman. And yes, purely by coincidence, that's exactly when Batman and Flash show up. Uh, The one thing that we learned that was your big question last week of, well, they destroyed the cosmic treadmill. How are they going to deal with that? Uh, Apparently by spending spending a a page or two out of a 20-page $4 story uh, showing the Flash doing a menial engine repair. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> we've spent a grand total of six pages, one-tenth of this book, watching The Flash uh, do day job shit. <laughs> it's really not exciting. <laughs> yeah. Now, the entire purpose of this book was to have an excuse for, for emo Batman to get closure with Dead Dad. Yeah, which has nothing to do with Watchmen. It has nothing to do with the button. No. It's, it really, it felt like filler. It, Except it does. for one or two interesting moments. Well, there's there's the moment where Dead Dad says, uh, don't be Batman. Exactly. Be happy. That, that's one of really the two moments that stood out to me. And it doesn't amount to much more than a couple panels here, but it could be an interesting point in future stories, assuming we can ever get done with this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then again, we, we just talked a few weeks ago, we just came out of Tom King's I Am Suicide, where King made it clear, Bruce Wayne knows, okay, this is kind of, stupid and silly what I'm doing. Mm. It's you know the idea, oh, I'm going to train myself to this level and put on this costume and fight crime doesn't make a lot of sense, but this is what I do in the face of my loss and lack of direction to not make penance, but give myself a purpose in life. I'm, I'm taking a vow to give myself a purpose ha- so that I don't kill myself. That's right. what I Am Suicide was for. So it's really been addressed to have... Yeah, to have your father absolve you of having to be Batman, yes, that would seem kind of powerful. But yeah, the more I think about it, now Batman's father has died in front of his eyes twice. twice. <laughs> Fuck quitting. He doubled down, man. Yeah, yeah. He'd be like, yes, father, I, I shall become a private nuclear power. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes, Father, I'll, I'll become a bigger bat. Yeah. An angrier bat. A, a testicle-eating bat. Bigger, blacker bat. <laughs> <laughs> what? There are no bigger, blacker, testicle-eating bats. Get Wayne Biological on the phone. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, if you watch your father die twice in front of you, I don't think Batman would necessarily even be an, a viable thing you could do to keep yourself going. No. Yes, father, I shall become a small tablet of Thorazine <laughs> right after I'm done counting the seams in my rubber room padded cell. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, it could lead to some future stories, but based on stories that we just had, I don't even know how you fit it in. So, <laughs> I don't I don't know what they're going to do with this. I, I don't know. Beyond, yes, closure with his dad, which he got when he got the letter from Barry at the end of Flashpoint. Yes. So, I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the only other moment that I found interesting... And that gave me really, it's the first thing that's given me any hope at all about 
this watch. I keep calling it the Watchmen thing, and that's really what it is it in is. my head. It's, all right, this thing they're doing. It's the first time I had any hope that somebody's thought it through and might have some plan beyond, yes, we'll uh, eventually have a cover with Batman fighting Rorschach, and we will use the profits to buy cars fast enough to dry away f- drive away from the angry mobs <laughs> led by Rob. Yes. Um, was at the very end of the book as Batman and Flash are on the repaired cosmic treadmill, they come across reverse Flash still moving through time from before he was killed in the first issue of this. Yes. And reverse Flash says he knows where the power on the button came from and he says that person or those people have never faced anyone like me. And the reason that gave me hope is, you know, last week I was complaining on the show that the button, the comedian's pin, shouldn't have the complete blood stain on it because mm-hmm. Dan Dryberg scraped some off with his thumb. Right. Uh, and then I, I got, and, and if that's the case, if this is before that happened, if this is the version of the pin before Rorschach got it and gave it to Night Owl, then Watchmen never happened. Because the story comes from Rorschach finding that pin and going to Night Owl to say, I think somebody's killing masks. Without that pin, Rorschach never has any reason to believe that. (laughs) This is fascinating. Geek out with your bad self. We talked about this last week. I know. Without that pin, (laughs) Rorschach has no reason to believe that the guy who got thrown out the window, Edward Blake, is the comedian. Right. And the story's over. That's the end of it. And I got an email from Ross Garmel, who's been on uh, on our show a few times, usually with the, the movie shows. Um, and he pointed out that also Dryberg threw the pin into the comedian's grave at his funeral. Right. And I replied to him, it's like, yeah, that's fine if the story was somehow Dr. Manhattan got his hands on it then and gave it to Batman. That's fine because at that point in Watchmen, the pin story is over. Yes. It has no further bearing on the story. So yeah, you can get it from there and drop it into Batman's cave somehow. But even then, that's not possible because the whole point of Dr. Manhattan's power is he experiences time as a constant. He's experiencing every moment as it happens. He perceives it, but it's a thing that's happening to him. He can't change it. Right. So and he's what, quite clear on that point. Yes, he, he says repeatedly, it's, you know, uh, this thing is happening to me in two minutes. In two minutes, you're going to say this thing to me. And people say, well, now that I know, uh, Lori says it. It's like, well, I'm not going to do that then. It's stupid. And then she winds up doing it anyway because, yes, time is a constant. He can experience it, but he can't change it. Now, Reverse Flash's whole thing is moving through time and changing things. Right. So that's when I started to, okay, I, I get where you might go with this. Because, yeah, since Dr. Manhattan can't, if these are, we're going to say these two characters, one with perception, one with action, live in the same universe, then maybe you've got something that's at least a little intriguing here beyond that, yeah, we're, we're going to put, <laughs> like I've said a million times, Rorschach versus Ambush Bug. <laughs> it's... But maybe somebody at least put some thought into it. Yes. So it's, I'm still square against it. I still think it's a cynical and desperate money grab to put Watchmen in the DC universe. But this is the first time just because, and again, I'm speculating. I could be way off base. For all I know, Joshua Williamson said was shit. I had to put some words in the bubble. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and in the next issue, yeah, Ambush Bug is involved. I don't know. I would love it if Ambush Bug was involved. Uh, at this point, uh, I would say at this point, yeah, I couldn't make it worse. But no, I'm saying for the first time, uh, I'm okay, maybe there's something here. It might not be much, but maybe there's something here. Yeah, it feels like there's some planning and some thought behind Are you this. saying they polished the turd? They may have polished the turd. I still think it's desperate and cynical and... A turd? Kind of despicable <laughs> and disrespectful to Alan Moore and to people who've loved Watchmen for 20-something years. But, okay, maybe you have a point. Maybe you have some reason just beyond, okay, we're going to chuck them all together and question mark, question mark, question mark, and profit. <laughs> So, yeah, there were a couple moments in here, uh, one of them with Batman's father. I don't know what the fuck they're going to do with it, considering some of the other stuff they've already done. But one of them I thought legitimately for the first time, okay, while I don't agree with it, I still kind of, now for the first time, I kind of want to see where you're going. Okay. Beyond just uh, let's keep reading it and it makes good radio to get me all spun At up At this again. point, I just want it to go somewhere. Yeah, I mean... After two issues where it didn't really go anywhere. None of this gets around the fact that, yes, this issue, nothing really happened. Yeah. If you wanted, if you're looking for any kind of indication beyond, like I said, that one panel that to me indicates maybe there's something deeper going on, mm. at least in somebody's mind, you're not going to get it here. This doesn't advance shit. <laughs> this is so it gets up to trade length as yes, far as i'm concerned pretty much you can skip this one i just told you the one spoiler and the speculation as to why this issue might matter and why it might wind up being a better story than i thought save yourself the four bucks there you go send it to me because <laughs> <laughs> i need that sweet bribe money to get our eisner nomination <laughs> jesus uh, anything else on no, Batman 22? Um, Are you sure? Can yeah, you come up with anything? No. Uh, do you want to talk about Nightwing's lenticular ass? I thought about it, but <laughs> I, that feels a little played out. Because if you can't think of anything, then we have to talk about Secret Empire. <laughs> just just do it. Uh, Secret Empire number one. And the uh, free comic book and day And also one. the free comic book day uh, edition, uh, Secret Empire number one. Uh, both of them were written by Nick Spencer. Art on Secret mm. Empire number one was Steve McNiven. Art on the free comic book day story was Andrea Sorrentino? On the free comic book one, yeah. Yes. My first note here is, uh, that's it, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, look, I'm, I'm really kind of serious about this. I, I'm not sure I can continue to read this. I have a comics podcast mm -hmm. and we need things to talk about with mm. that comics podcast. I, I think I could find almost anything I'd, I'd rather read and talk about than this. I mean, <laughs> and it's weird. My first comic book was a Marvel team up. Mm. I, when I was in second grade, I made a Captain America shield out of a trash bucket lid and showed it off in class. Now, I like a lot of Nick Spencer comic books. And again, we need shit to talk about. I, I should have a lot of reasons to stick with this book, but I don't, I'm not sure that I can. I say that as somebody who read every issue of Fear Itself. I'm so sorry. Fear Itself is Watchmen <laughs> compared to this fucking hot garbage. Mm, hot garbage. I mean, there's a lot of problems in, in this book, these books, and we're going to go through a lot of them. Why don't we um, why don't we delve into the many problems that are in and amongst uh, Secret Empire? All right, but uh, look, if you're in a hurry, uh if you're tired of hearing me complain about Marvel books for the last 6 months, particularly Secret Empire, I can boil down the problem with this book in in a sentence. 
and there's a lot of other problems, but okay. the worst, most egregious thing here, and if you don't like that, you can skip ahead or, or tune in next week or whatever, but Captain America has Rick Jones executed by firing squad. On television. On television. <laughs> so yeah, let, let's repeat that. Because what I do, think about whether that sounds like a comic book that anybody would want to read. Anybody with 70 years of appreciation for Captain America would even remotely want to read. Captain America has Rick Jones executed by firing squad on television. When uh, Bruce Banner inevitably comes back from the dead, he's going to be really pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. <laughs> I, let, let's play a game. Okay. Let's come up with a tagline for a story that completely betrays a character in one sentence as badly as Captain America has Rick Jones executed by firing squad on television. And the fewest number of words wins. I've got a few. I, I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Okay. So I have a few. I'm All right, a, why don't you start I'm, then so I can get a sense of what you're looking for. Superman rapes and murders Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how is that way off of Captain America has Rick Jones murdered? Yeah... Um, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, power mad Spider Man. <laughs> oh, that was that was the Superior Octopus story. <laughs> All right, okay, and and a lot of people think that betrayed Spider Man. Okay, I can, I'll take that one back. Uh, <laughs> anything? I got a few more. <laughs> um, no, you can keep going. Batman shoots Robin. Is it Damien? <laughs> Please tell me it's Damien. I would read that. <laughs> and this is why you shouldn't keep guns in the home unless you have a gun safe. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should take that one back too. <laughs> All right. Fuck slave Wonder Woman. <laughs> I think that's an Elseworlds. <laughs> Defense attorney Dread. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I like that one. <laughs> but but th- that's a kind of... It's, Everything the character is, it's like, oh, no, you know what? So, so that we can sell a few books, let's Tea chuck that out. Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> Except he kind of is a teetotaler at this point. Eh, he's an AI at this point. Yeah. All right. That's a whole nother issue of what the hell's going on with fucking Marvel now. But it, all right. Warm and fuzzy Thunderbolt Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Humorless Plastic Man. <laughs> Humorless Rigid Plastic Man. <laughs> Oh, all right. All right. It's, let, let's back away from that. The, this issue is just full of, both of them are, are full of problems. I mean, somehow between the last issue and this one, Hydra has completely seized the reins of power in the United States. Yes. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we discussed the, the this was zero issue, mm-hmm. which also sucked. Yes. And I can't believe it only took two weeks for Marvel to release a comic book that would make me look back on Secret Empire Zero fondly. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so this all started with the, the president, Congress, whatever, giving Captain America the authority to deploy the military to repel a Chitauri invasion and to stop a bunch of supervillains from running around destroying New York. Yes. All right, he wasn't appointed Jesus. He wasn't given the nuclear football. He was granted temporary emergency powers. Now, if we've learned nothing in the last couple of months... We've learned that the president signing a piece of paper doesn't necessarily mean everything changes tomorrow. Right. Doesn't mean all that much in a 48 to 72 hour span necessarily. 
courts get involved. The Congress can say, no, we're going to take that letter away. <laughs> um, but yeah, somehow in the interim between issue zero and issue one, Captain America has completely seized the reins of power. He's put Hydra completely in charge and has changed American society so completely you can't even recognize it, except as, oh, this is Nazi Germany, except it's in America. Right. I, how the fuck does that happen? Even in the course of, you want to say it's a few months. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make any kind of logical sense. I don't know. Um, I <laughs> Is it the author's comment on the recent elections here in this country, and so far as the people that might be inclined to say less than savory things now feel that they can be more public and therefore have more bubbled to the surface more quickly. It's, they swear that it's not. They swear that all of this has been planned out over the course of years. And the original thought was that somebody else would win the election. Uh, so it wouldn't be on point even in that way. Hmm. And, and, and that could be a point. But again, if we've learned nothing since January, we've learned that this potential kind of change in leadership can embolden some people who are already extremists, mm. but more quiet about it to be more extreme in public. Uh, it can cause the direction of the country to tack in a different political direction, but it doesn't happen you know, overnight. Well, that's just it. I mean, I, it may not have happened overnight. It may be that individuals who are more progressive were more blind to that because it's harder to wrap one's head around that someone could have those points of view. Except the implication is it did happen almost overnight from the free comic book day story. It's said repeatedly by whoever's narrating well, they, it. They, they also went out, out of their way to point out that they've been upping whatever mind control chemicals they're putting into the fluoride and the chemtrails to make people more docile and accepting of the new world order. Oh, certainly. And that's a, that's a great message for a comic book. Every half wit dingbat conspiracy theory, totally true. Yeah. Totally true. But no, I meant in the free comic book day issue, the narrator very clearly says it happened so fast we couldn't believe it. Yeah. So that uh, Well, the implication there being though that because Steve Rogers is such a master strategist that when he finally pulled the no the noose tight, that was it. I mean, I suppose, but I mean, we talked about it last week, the United States and still has nuclear powers. Uh <laughs> How many Hydra agents are there? Well, that's I mean, <laughs> In order to just seize power at that level, I mean, Captain America, we see him in the free comic book day issue with Thor's hammer. Is that enough to make everybody kneel? I mean, and with the changes happening currently in the United States, there are people who oppose it every step of the way. A dude shows up with a nuke in Washington. That's the best thing I can think of. I have a nuke, and if you don't let my Nazi friends seize power... I'm going to blow up Washington. Do you think that would happen? <laughs> it's possible or it, I mean, it, but I mean, that gets into the writing on this is so egregiously horrible <laughs> that flaws in the logic, you know, without showing, say, I don't know, Dr. Faustus going into the White House PA and, and lullabying fucking Congress. But even, <laughs> even that doesn't make any sense because if it's, okay, we're doing, let's say it's magic. We've seen magic users in here. The implication is that, uh, who is it? Kraken maybe uh, used magic to keep Doctor Strange out of commission and maybe uh, hack into Scarlet Witch's brain to get her on Captain America's new Nazi Avengers. Mm. Uh, 
Again, it's unclear how it happened, which speaks to the poor writing. Yeah, but it's it. My point was going to be yes, if we're using magic and these technologies to make people docile, then why is it even a surveillance state? You've made them docile; they'll just go along with you. So yeah, it's it doesn't map out. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. It's stupid. Imagine anybody winning over any American hearts and minds with the battle cry that America only won World War II because of the Cosmic Cube, and we're going to give them backsies to the Nazis because, I don't know, the Cosmic Cube is grounds for forfeit or something. Like, oh no, that's that's not a kosher way to win the war, so here's givebacks. That's it's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> You might find some elderly people in Hiroshima who would buy that argument. You're not going to find a lot of support at the local VFW hall. No. it's And I know Marvel has gone to great lengths to say, but they're not Nazis. Hydra's not Nazis. They're Nazis. They're fucking Nazis. It's bullshit. (laughs) We know that it's bullshit. Who's in Hydra Command? Baron Zemo. Fucking Nazi. Arnim Zola. Fucking Nazi. Exactly. Dr. Faustus is a neo-Nazi. Yeah. And, and, and besides, if the conceit here is that we're willing to say America actually lost World War II except for the Cosmic Cube, if it's not Nazis, who do we supposedly lose it to? Italy? <laughs> God knows the world trembles before the might of the Italian Blitzkrieg. Give me a fucking break. Of course Hydra is fucking Nazis. It doesn't make any goddamn sense how we get to this point. It's infuriating. Yeah. I mean, and, and the people... Working with Captain America, they make sense only in forced plot ways. You know, Scarlet Witch was, okay, oh, somebody hacked her brain. But to put her on Nazi Avengers, she was the daughter of Magneto. Or at least she thought she was for years. You know, Magneto, who's yeah. a concentration camp from the Nazis, who was hunted and persecuted as a mutant. Yeah, she'll throw in with the third, fourth, fifth Reich, whatever the hell this is supposed to be. I mean, Deadpool's a Nazi. Deadpool is a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, if anybody ought to be an X Factor in this little. Uh... <laughs> well, and that's the thing. There have been three issues of this shit with Deadpool is Hydra, and he hasn't said a single word about why he's doing it. He's no. just, okay, I'm with the Nazis now. What's the money like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Odinson is his own unique problem. Yes. Because. Because the Nazis love throwing in Viking shit, so that's problematic and uncomfortable to start with. I, I can I can see the argument if if Captain America is worthy enough to wield the hammer, which again beggars all fucking belief. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I've heard I've read the arguments online of oh no, it just shows that he firmly believes in his cause and he's absolutely willing to back everything. His word is still his bond. It's. A, no, it's just a horrible choice and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm. I mean, that would mean any true believer extremist can pick up Thor's hammer. Timothy McVeigh could pick up Thor's hammer. <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard could be the god of thunder. <laughs> Ted Bundy could pick up the hammer. Yeah, it's it doesn't it doesn't map out. No. And it just all it leads to is this horrible visual. And I can't understand why Odinson would throw in with them, except maybe to stay close to the hammer. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. And and even that's another problem that pisses me off. To even have an, any idea why some of this stuff is happening, you need to get the free comic book day issue. Yes. Which is fine, but if your comic store is anything like ours, he pulls them off the shelves after free comic day. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you can get these books exactly one day. And you can make the argument, you know, oh, if you're a big comic book fan, of course you're going to go to Free Comic Book Day. We couldn't go for years. No. Because a lot of time we were doing this show, and Free Comic Book Day always maps up to the big Marvel movie release. Right. And a lot of times, yeah, we can only go on Saturdays. Yeah, it just hasn't worked out. So, yeah, it's one, another thing with Marvel making you jump through fucking hoops to get the entire story of an event again. Which is a whole different issue beyond the fucking fascism and Nazis and Nazi Captain America and shit that doesn't make sense. Yes. Uh, I've been ranting for a while. Please feel free to chime in. I need to get my breath back from I mean, rage. By the time this is done, they're going to have to do some sort of rebirth lake reboot. Honestly, to walk this back. They're going to have to use the Cosmic Cube to undo everything. And reset. And I, I think that's got to be the option that they they go in. You know, whether it's because of this story and the panic that has to be going on at Marvel. I mean, my God. What do we see on the comic book sites today? People are putting themselves on Twitter burning the free comic book day issue. Yeah. Which is bullshit because that's a Nazi tactic. Don't burn books, kids. You can hate them. You can buy some microphones and scream about them on the internet. But don't burn them. Right. We don't like the people who... Who <laughs> are the type to burn books? Yeah, no, it's it's getting ugly on the internet, and and it's not helping that apparently, I I haven't gone out of my way to look. Apparently, Nick Spencer is just being very defen- defensive about it on social media rather than listening. <laughs> and on one hand, I can't blame him. Look, this is his shot at the brass ring. Yeah, and at least with issue zero, the plotting that it took to make the dominoes fall to get to the point of okay, Captain America has these emergency powers was clever plotting. Yes. It was a well-constructed book. I don't think this book matches that at all because the leaps in logic that it takes to get from that to, yep, Hydra's got all of America and everybody watching each other and a paranoid surveillance state under the fist of fascism with the publicly televised execution of Rick Jones, for fuck's sake. Yeah, to get from point A to point B... <laughs> it, yeah. it really is. We've made the joke uh, about a couple different things in this episode. The question, 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 profit. Yeah. It's like, okay, somehow we got from here to here, and the heavy lifting, I don't think, was done. It just, it wasn't. Right. But yeah, so Marvel's got to be in a panic. So whether it's because of that, it's like, okay, this is the only way we're going to save it is to do a rebirth style thing, or whether they're just looking at what DC did with rebirth and once again trying to follow the leader like they did with New 52, where they said, okay, and we'll do all new, all different Marvel with a new first issue every fucking six months. Right. I don't know, but I I think that might be the... It can't be the only option out of it, but they're kind of running... They ruined Captain Marvel with Civil War Two. Yes. Now, Captain Marvel, is, as far as I'm concerned, is damaged fucking goods without some real intervention. Yes. Yeah, they're ruining Captain America. They've killed Rick Jones, even though it's comic book death, but Nick Spencer has said online, nope, as far as I'm concerned, that's a real death. Then again, <laughs> again, when when they finally decide that they've had enough and this has come to its inevitable conclusion, when the cosmic cube is is used again because that's happening in Thunderbolts, um, they yep. <laughs> the cosmic cube has been disappeared because reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, because yes, if Bucky has the cosmic cube and his former partner is now a Nazi. Bucky fixes things. <laughs> he, he, yeah, exactly. So you know, it's just a question really of how long before Bucky says, you know, stop having a tantrum, get over yourself, put the world right. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they've got to do something like that. 
And it's probably- and by putting the world right, yeah, then you're bringing back all of your dead characters. You're resetting every everything. <laughs> yeah, and and one speculation I read on uh, one news site or another today was they're going to use Rick Jones's death actually as an excuse to bring back Captain Marvel, the original Marvel. Which, in its own way, would be a shame because Death of Captain Marvel is really one of the great graphic novels yes. of the 1980s. Um, and yeah, for, for comic characters who stayed dead, he stayed pretty dead. Yeah. They, they bring him back for like one offs and then he sacrifices himself. And so it maintains sort of the purity of that original story. But at this point, given that Carol Danvers as a character is so so much in the way of damaged goods. The only way to redeem her character would be to put her back in the orbit of, I'm going to say it, the, the real Captain Marvel. And <laughs> See, I, I don't know that I agree with that because, yeah, particularly Kelly Sue DeConnick on Captain Marvel, I thought that was a good run. That's the only reason that book is in my polls. It's about to get dropped. <laughs> and see, it didn't do much for me. <laughs> Which is fine. We're not going to like all the same stuff. Yeah. But... Yeah, with just the damage that was done to it. I don't know what penance for killing founding members of the Avengers exactly you have to do to make yourself right. But I would say that, you know, if there was a character who knew, <laughs> yeah, it would be the original Captain Marvel. Uh, that that's very possible. That that could be something that could happen. I I suppose there's no reason there can't be two Captain Marvels. Christ, there's two Spider-Men right now. Yeah. Although the the one thing that did make me chuckle a little bit was when my uh miles realizes oh, I, I know the scene yeah <laughs> he's, like, he's like this makes so much sense now yeah. okay now i can see why people saw me killing captain america right, yeah i kind of see it too <laughs> well, god's truth <laughs> but yeah and particularly in that uh, that some of the other stuff that isn't just infuriating is just boring and fucking contrite we get the a two page layout of the obligatory world war 2 you know, the, the Nazi soldier has his female prisoner to dinner and tries to convince her that, you know, oh, no, it's a, I can, I'm still a good person even though I'm doing, it's straight out of fucking, it's Belloc and Marion and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, except that if that was the case, then Sharon would be able to outdrink Steve and get away. <laughs> it's true, but this version of Sharon is a, is an, <laughs> uh, is a woman of a certain age. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's so fucking it's almost criminally bad it is and i feel bad for nick spencer only in the sense that he writes some other really good books i've liked ant-man superior foes of spider-man was spectacular the fix is great Fix is great fun it's maybe just a big event is not a thing not everybody can write everything i do a mean dick joke but nobody's asking me to put shakespeare into modern english this feels like if somebody pitched a really bad alternate Marvel universe or alternate, I don't want to say fan fiction, but it's <laughs> it's it's just the story goes so far beyond the pale in terms of what you want out of your characters. Like I I shouldn't expect that everything is going to be enjoyable escapist fantasy. Um, and Spencer is on record saying, I don't want to write that. It's, it's kind of pissy about it. <laughs> Clearly, yes, you don't want to write that, but you're not writing something that is enjoyable either. <laughs> yeah, and Marvel keeps saying, oh, you've got to read the whole story. Oh, you've got, you've no. got to read the whole story. It's, these books are five bucks a whack. I don't have to do dick. Yeah. I don't. Even with a, a comics podcast, it's 
Look, I think it's fun radio for us to get all riled up, but I, I also like to remember we're doing this because we love comics. <laughs> there are good comics. There yes. were good comics this week. I mean, it's the Jerry Duggan's uh, New Guardians of the Galaxy, even though it moved it right toward the movie. That that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's genuinely good stuff coming out from both. But yeah, the, these big ones that are coming out from both, bringing in Watchmen and turning Captain America into a Nazi, yeah, they're going to get the most attention. You're, you almost have to talk about them. And I just, I don't know that I want to talk about this one anymore because I don't know what star turn it could take to make me go, yeah, that makes up for having Rick Jones executed by Firing Squad on live television. Yeah, especially given that there's at least two, probably more characters who are intended to be ciphers for the audience that are saying to Steve flat out, I know that you must be like, somehow you know, mind controlled or something and, and and you'll figure it out i have faith in you like it's yeah it's <laughs> my god if you had told me a year ago that i would have more of a smidgen of hope for the story that's bringing watchmen into the dc universe than i would for a nick spencer crossover event i would have laughed in your fucking face yeah i mean i would laugh now but it's not fucking funny this is really criminally bad this. I'm I'm looking back fondly to times when we could talk about God Emperor Doom, and, <laughs> and I shouldn't feel that way. No, that wasn't a good story we either. Because that sucked. That didn't <laughs> do anything. That if anything, the Marvel Universe is worse since that happened. Yeah. The best that I'm hoping for right now is that Axel Alonso says, "Okay, I'm hitting the big button, and Marvel's finally going to reboot. We're gonna we're gonna use the cosmic cube to make it never was." And let's go back to, uh, look, I don't... I suspect, again, that the whole point in flipping Galactus is that he can reboot the the Marvel Earth here. Yeah, there's two or three different ways they can do it. And uh, look, uh, Nick Spencer, if you're listening, I don't, I don't need my hand held. I don't need escapist fiction. Yeah, I, part of why I rant about Watchmen is I love that book. And that book is a book that... As a superhero comic fan, it's about how Superman would be a dispassionate person with a god complex, and superheroes would either be sex perverts or psychopaths. It really does not speak well of superhero stories, but I love it. It's certainly not handhold. V for Vendetta is about a fascist state. Mm. But you know what? The hero is not fucking Hitler. Yeah. The hero is the guy fighting against fascism. It's I don't mind comics that aren't escapism. I don't mind being challenged. But to do it to Captain America and to be disingenuous, oh no, it's not really about Nazis, even though it's clearly about Nazis. And to make the leap in logic of, yes, given this tactical move of taking out superheroes in New York, and, okay, fine, great plotting, even though I don't like the story, that's great plotting. But then to say, oh, and it leads to a massive political victory that changes hearts and minds, no one fucking doesn't. You haven't done the heavy fucking lifting on that. It's just, this doesn't work. It's not good. <laughs> Send your five bucks to me, and I will make sure we get an Eisner nomination. <laughs> <laughs> For your consideration. <laughs> uh, we don't get an Eisner nomination. I don't know what else. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about with Secret Empire? I, I hate ending shows just this 
deflated and upset. The only joy that I took from Secret Empire 1 is I got to see the Fantastic Car again. Yeah, if this is round one in bringing back the Fantastic... um, Hell, Reed Richards is out somewhere uh, as... Uh, not the maker, that's evil Reed Richards. Once again, thank <laughs> you, Jonathan. Aren't they all? <laughs> thank you, Jonathan Hickman. Um, Aren't they all? <laughs> but, so yeah, maybe Reed Richards comes back and does it. I don't, like I said, there's two or three different ways they could do it. Yeah. I don't care how they do it, because I, I don't know how you get out of this. this they certainly, f- three months later, haven't done anything to get Captain Marvel out of it. <laughs> She's got scenes in this of, oh God, we're just beaten down out here outside the planetary shield. It's like, the, yeah, you set that up and you fucked it up and uh, might be nice to have the Hulk now, huh? That'd be pretty good. Maybe Tony Stark could help you out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't, yeah, not this one. No, <laughs> just no. And yeah, I, I may just check out because it, if if it continues in this way and I read it, I'm going to want to talk about it. And I'd, I'd really like to start being more upbeat about the hobby that I love and spend so much money and time on. You liked Hero Killers this week. Hero Killers was good. Yeah, we were going to do a book of the week thing and then everything got away from us. So yeah, that was going to be my book of the week. So yeah. there's still joy to be had in comics. Yeah, Hero Killers was fun. It won't make you any smarter, but it was fun. Who wrote that? I have no idea. Some I forgot guy. to bring that one down. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. It was a weird thing because it's one of those Dynamite Project superheroes stories, mm. which I do not care about. I don't know why. It doesn't connect with me. Warren Ellis wrote it. I love Warren Ellis. I could not connect with Project Superheroes. This book about sidekicks who are just beaten down. <laughs> <laughs> There's some humor to it. It's not the funniest book in the world, but it was fun. So yes, get Hero Killers. It's the one with uh, sidekicks on the cover going, protecting the blank out of you. Okay. I mean, I say fuck, but it, they don't put fuck on the cover. No. <laughs> because they don't want to be with the hente <laughs> behind the counter. <laughs> All right. So that put a and smile the on my face. books. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> that put a smile on my face. There you go. All right. All right. Any, anything else or, or should we wrap it up? Just picture Peter Quill coming out of the sun, screaming to the sound of Dirty White Boy. <laughs> Showtime, a-holes. All right. I'll go with that one. <laughs> okay. All right, don't know where you found this particular episode of the podcast, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. You can send us a message there, and uh, occasionally we put up neat stuff that we find during the week. Uh, It is facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We're on Tumblr. Uh, What what the hell is our Tumblr? (laughs) crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. Uh, We are on iTunes, and you can certainly subscribe to the show through there. And if you have a minute, if you can give us a review or give us a rating, uh, it helps new people find the show, which we like. We do. Because, yeah, want that sweet Eisner nomination, man. Jesus. Oh, we are on TuneIn Radio. We're on the Google Play Network. We're on Stitcher. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at email dot, at email, at gmail.com. <laughs> why get I, some whiskey into you. That's why I shouldn't do this show sober. <laughs> Fucks me up. Crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. I think, based on my inability to speak, this radio show is over. Okay. This has been episode 149 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening, and derp. I'm Mary Poppins, (laughs) y'all.